Blog Talk Radio. SEC Championship Game edition of BAMS Radio. I'm your co-host, Kerry Clark, from BamaMag.com, joined in the studio by Thomas Watts, who works with AlabamaIntel.com, as does our other host, Drew DeArmond, who is uh, coming in hot, but I'm not sure he's ready yet, so I'll uh, bring him in whenever he says he's ready. All right, Drew, you there? Yes, sir. Okay. Well, a uh, wonderful victory for the Crimson Tide of uh, 55-44 over Auburn, trailed by 12 in the third quarter, went on a 34-3 to run, uh, and really could have been 34 to nothing had officials not missed a uh, dual possession that should have gone to Bradley Silly, but that's water under the bridge now. But overall, Drew, uh, you were there. Uh, you were out there amongst the madness. Uh, what were your impressions Saturday? Well, you know, as I've said, uh, I wrote it and I've said it to many people. Um, it was it was a very emotional Iron Bowl for me. I was very proud of the football team, very proud of the players, uh, especially Blake Sims for how he rallied and uh, as he's done all year, kind of got himself settled down and and made plays and was able to uh, uh, you know rally the football team. I mean, to me, it, this team is a special group because. You know, Coach, this is not one of Coach Saban's more talented teams. And not to disrespect this team, I still think they have a lot of talent, but I'm just talking about 1 through 85. And I think they've got a lot of overachievers on this team. And I think you saw a lot of those guys making plays uh, Saturday, uh, Kerry. I mean, with Blake Sims, and he's now set the all-time total offense record for a season for Alabama with 3,290 yards. Uh, he's 75 yards away from the single-season passing yardage record. Uh, he's third all-time in passing touchdowns now for a season with 24. I mean, what all he's accomplished is nothing short of miraculous. Um, you, got, you get a guy like Nick Perry, who to me has waited his turn uh, and, and makes a huge interception in the game. A guy like Austin Shepard, who was not considered a five-star recruit. Uh, he, 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 he was able to play right and left tackle in the game when he had to, and I thought he just did a spectacular job. And then I, I just felt overall that Alabama proved they were a true football team. And uh, they're a better football team than Auburn. And the most satisfying part of the game was watching uh, Alabama beat Gus Malzahn at his own game. They did do that, particularly Lane Kiffin. Uh, and since Gus was unable to make it to the Auburn Waffle House because his team lost, uh, just so they didn't miss out on sales, Drew and I hit the one in uh, best, or about uh, 3.45 a.m. on the way home. And uh, we had a good meal. But all food tastes good after you beat all of them. I think we all know that. Um, just, a, just a good win. Uh, certainly I'm not going to go out and buy a shirt that shows my team gave up 44 points. 
but at the same time, I am proud of the effort that was given, particularly in the last, say, 25 minutes of the game. Uh, oh, no, no Alabama was on a mission. Uh, Coach Saban said they came out with too much emotion in the first half, but not enough execution. They were able to channel the emotion properly uh, after the first Auburn uh, drive of the second half. And if they, uh, well, they, uh, they scored five straight touchdowns. Uh, against a less than stellar Auburn defense, got the coordinator fired the next day, and uh, now in their dreams of la-la land, they think they're getting Will Muschamp, but I don't think either of us agrees with that. <laughs> I can tell them right now that's not going to happen. Uh, you know, I was getting ripped on Twitter by a few Auburn fans yesterday, but my source is outstanding on in this situation. Uh, and, you know, it's, and, uh, and as of right now, nothing has changed in that regard. Uh, what I reported is, you know, the top three guys right now. I know I know they still want to talk to Will, but I do believe Will will be at either South Carolina or a Texas A&M. And of course, I've had people tell me, well, South Carolina still has a defensive coordinator. I think there's I think there's a reason that uh, Spurrier is competing. Uh, and so, like I said, I, I I would say of the two jobs, I think A&M can offer the most money. Uh, but I think right now the slight favorite would be South. Carolina, uh, you know, and then the three candidates I've got for Auburn uh, that I was told yesterday are Bill Clark, who was just, you know, relieved of his duties, and we feel for that situation with UAB, but I think everybody realizes that UAB was a money drain. I mean, uh, I I don't understand. I I saw the Catherine Webb Facebook post about Paul Bryant Jr. I think she needs to, uh, I think she and AJ need to learn when to kind of tone it down a little bit. Yeah, you know, I don't want but, to say uh, the words, but FTFU. Yeah, but I mean, you know, you kind of need to chill out. Uh, UAB has, you know, I, I, the what, what I what I the best vernacular I can use for you the UAB situation. That's all I'm going to say about it is they didn't. All I'll say is they didn't pay their dues. They didn't work their way up. They should have stayed one double A longer and built a fan base and built more of a booster base to where they probably could have and and, and then. Along with a bigger booster and fan base, I think they could have maybe gotten some corporate sponsorship and uh, and built some facilities instead of basically trying to drain the UAB or the UA board of trustees and basically demand that. In my opinion, I always felt like they were almost demanding not equal footing with Alabama, but close to it. And I just don't believe that's possible. And they should have uh, worked their way up, stayed one double A for over a decade. And then, then if they were ready to move up to Division One, move up. But they stayed one double A for three years and then moved up to one A, just like they're supposed to have a fan base and everything else. I mean, this is an Alabama Auburn State. Uh, Troy has a loyal following, Jacksonville State, UNA, but they all built their fan bases and moved up. And two of them are still in one double A. Uh, I know South Alabama moved up, but they also paid their dues, and uh, you know, and and they weren't trying to play big-time D1 football. They're in the Sun Belt, which is, you know, what UAB should have built toward, in my estimation. And they always wanted to compete almost on an equal footing, and I just don't think that was the, ever going to be the case. And, and I think they went about it the wrong way. And, uh, you know, I hate that they had to cut the program, but uh, they did things. I mean, they've only been around. They think A lot of people think 20 years is a long time in football. It's really not. And, uh, I mean, really it was less than 20. So when you count one up one A when they were playing one A ball, and so like I said, I just think they tried to cut corners, and uh, I hate that that had to happen, but it's not surprising. 
Well, I don't I don't have any sympathy to offer anybody but the players. And yeah. I think that those players uh, will all find places to play if they want to. I personally know of two programs in the state of Georgia that have just started football teams. One is Kennesaw State, the Owls that beat us in baseball, and the other is West Georgia Tech. Not to be confused with West Georgia College and Carrollton, which has been on forever, but West Georgia Tech and the Grange now has a football team. There's plenty of places they can go. Uh, UAB football was a joke from the day it went to Division One because they were having to have donors, people out there buy tickets so they could tell the uh, NCAA they sold enough to stay D1. They did not have enough butts in the seat to stay D1. They just had to have people buy their tickets up. The program is gone now. Hopefully, never to return. Uh, if it does return, then I hope it means they secede from the UA Board of Trustees, which I have no problem with that. If they want to do that, they can stay their butts in Division Two for the rest of their lives because that's all they'll be able to afford. But anyway, let's get back to the Iron Bowl a little bit more before we bring on our first guest. And I just want to give you a quick update of the uh, apparent bludgeoning that's going on in Jordan Hare. Uh, I say that, but Prattville Seth Knox just caught a pass with. That's um, with a minute 23 to go. It's a minute 22 to go in the half. But that was uh, the first time Prattville got on board. It's about uh, to be 21 to 7 Hoover. Uh, Prattville did get to the two yard line and went for it on fourth down instead of taking the field goal and uh, got stuck. Uh, but it looks like the halftime score is probably going to be 21 to 7 Hoover. Uh, Keith Wall, Washington, the quarterback for Prattville, with a nice pass there to sit not to great receiver to play somewhere. Um, great hands. Uh, but anyway, about to be 21 7. Lots prospects from this ball game. Uh, Jeremiah Moon, who Alabama covets, nearly had a Nick Perry type interception uh, early in the second quarter. Uh, Darrell Williams is playing well. Christian Bell is playing well. Uh, and then prospects that are going to other schools are playing well. I, I, I tell you what, you know, we talked a lot about some of these guys, and we'll, we'll hit this a little bit more in the second hour. Uh, but uh, I don't agree about you, but I, I don't think Darrell Williams' recruitment is over yet. No, it's not, and I mean a lot of it has to do with uh, Lorenzo Phillips' academics, and right now there isn't a complete answer to that. I mean, we're going to find out soon, but he's had some, I think, some questions about his transcript with Alabama as far as his academic eligibility and standing uh, from East Mississippi Junior College. Uh, you know, so we will see there, and I still think Alabama's an outstanding shape for Adonis Thomas. And I think the biggest thing recruiting-wise that came out of the Iron Bowl period, I think Alabama now is in outstanding shape for uh, for Damian Harris. Uh, there's been several people in the recruiting industry that now think Alabama leads for him. And as we've talked about on this show, I think Alabama has decided they want another back in the class and it's a priority because of the situation of the uncertainty of the future of all these 10 Penny because of the likelihood of T.J. Yeldon going pro. I even brought up the uh, the fact of the, of the tailback, uh, Jordan Howard at uh, UAB, maybe even being a, 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 a under consideration for Alabama. He rushed for 1,600 yards. But if they do get Damian Harris, I don't think they will be in the, in the market for another back. They'll also have Bo Scarborough, who, by the way, I found out this week, Kerry, is 248 pounds now. That sounds like a Justin Fowler replacement for me. And then let's not forget Kenyon Drake coming back. We didn't anticipate that when the season started. Nobody yeah. saw that coming. So yeah, there'll be plenty of depth and ability at running back. And, uh, you know, somebody's going to get a pretty good running back, uh, two good running backs off of Hoover. Uh, Roderick Shaw and Marcus Webb, Webb particular, 
both having great first halves. Uh, Webb just Webb just ran the ball down to Prattville territory, but it looked like he went back on a penalty. Uh, Webb's dad, Marcus, uh, played basketball for Wimp Sanderson at Alabama and for half a season with the Boston Celtics. Mm-hmm. Uh, his sister, an excellent player, uh, signed, I believe, with Vanderbilt. Um, correct. Because the team at Alabama was not quite, you know, up to her standards of play, which I, I understand that. I get it. Um, but anyway, those are two pretty good little running backs that Hoover has. Somebody's going to get good players. Uh, maybe somebody like South Carolina would take uh, would take Shaw. I'm not even sure who all Webb is looking at, but uh, they're both excellent, excellent football players. And I, there's a new school involved with Shaw now, Kerry. I think Mississippi State, Vandy, and South Carolina are still involved. But another school to watch is uh, is interesting. It's Wisconsin. Oh, well, that's that's a good fit for him. Uh, good fit for him. Speaking of Wisconsin, there was a, a thought that, that drew my attention earlier today that Brett Bielema might take the uh, Nebraska job, but he has since refuted that. So I guess probably he's going to stay at Arkansas. Um, it looks like Jim McElwain will take the job in Gainesville. I guess we're just waiting on the official announcement, but it seems to be 99.99% a done deal on that. Oh, yeah, no doubt. They're, they're still working out some details with the buyout, but he's the guy. That's the reason the plane's been there, and they'll work that out. He's, he supposedly has told his team he's going to Florida. I know anything can happen, but it looks very, very likely that Jim McElwain will be the Gator coach. Uh, you know, and then it's going to be interesting because I think, like we've already talked about, Will Muschamp, that looks like that. Uh, is, he'll end up somewhere in the SEC. And uh, and then we talked about the Auburn names, uh, the three names I'm hearing. Like I said, Bill Clark, uh, you know, uh, obviously uh, – the uh, the defensive coordinator at uh at Barry Odom at Memphis University, and then obviously uh, the uh, there's a connection at Florida State, uh, he and uh, with him and the, the first year DC at FSU, who has a history with Auburn back in the early 90s, and uh, he is also, uh, from what I understand, a candidate there. Charles Kelly and uh, yeah, Charles really Kelly. Couldn't, couldn't blame Bill Clark if he took the job because. It would be even more than he's making now. He's making about six hundred thousand now. Yeah, but, uh, he would definitely be interested. He'd, in that. he'd probably get a two hundred two hundred fifty k bump if he goes to Auburn. So uh, now Bill's not an Auburn guy. No, he's uh, not. Deep, deep down, he he bleeds crimson and Prattville Cardinal. Uh, you know, he's only been at UAB a year. He it was a very emotional situation for him. He's one of the other ones that I feel a little bit, you know, bad. Oh yeah. For. I know that Bill will bounce back. Uh, oh, I, and Jody Wright will probably bounce back, and I think I think most of Bill's coaches will find a job uh, somewhere. Uh, good coaches do. That's just how it works. Business decision. I don't. Really, I don't want to spend two hours talking about UAB, but Bill Clark's a great guy, and he'll find a job whether it's Auburn's defensive coordinator, uh, whether it's an off the field position in Alabama. He'll find him a job if he wants to keep you know keeping football. Well, and I'll say this, coach. They may not have to move out of town. I know it's not a high paying gig, but remember, you know, Pat Sullivan retired at Stanford. Yeah, that would be a, a, a severe pay cut. That would probably cost Bill about 400000 a year. So I don't yeah. know that he would take that. I think the Auburn defensive coordinator. And I, and I wouldn't blame Auburn for hiring him. Uh, I'll say this, you know, the only I, – I went when Julio Jones was a junior and when Julio Jones was a senior uh, to playoff games at Travel. And Bill Clark had game plans that really shut Julio down until garbage time both years. And I'm talking about – Alabama State type commitments covering him, and what what Bill had taught those kids to do worked. So Bill is a wonderful defensive coordinator. He did a good job for for Joey Jones. 
did a good job at Jacksonville last year, did a good job at UAB this year. Uh, but if he wants a job, he'll have a job. I, I personally hope Auburn don't hire him because I like Bill so much. Uh, but I wouldn't blame him if they did. Charles Kelly, as you mentioned, is interesting because he did play in the early 90s for Pat Dye, Florida State, uh, D.C. And then I don't know much about Barry Odom, but I understand he had some type of off-field position a few years ago at Auburn. Well, and I just want to say that our next guest is ready, and he may have some you know, in, in, insight into that. He has excellent sources. But we want to welcome uh, Alabama Intel's William Redfish Barger back to the show. He always brings a lot of great knowledge. And, uh, William, welcome back to BAMS Radio tonight, man. Hey, guys, I appreciate you having me on. No problem. Well, I'm sure you heard our conversation a little bit. I, you've uh, got excellent sources uh, in the coaching world. Uh, what do you have any? I know we're going to mostly talk Alabama like we always do, but do you have any insight today or any update on the coaching carousel? Well, you know, I think right now the, you know, the most – the most interesting thing is is what's going on between you know Jeremy Foley and and Colorado State. Um, you know, it looked like that thing was was a done deal uh, this afternoon, and uh, you know the powers to be at Colorado State. You know, at least the last thing that I heard was you know they've kind of dug their heels in and um, you know are, are trying to hold steady with with you know with Coach Max buyout to the tune of seven million dollars. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, Jeremy Foley did a, you know, a great, you know, passing of the peace pipe and, you know, offer to them to, you know, hey, guys, let's knock it down to $3 million and, you know, we'll come play a game at Fort Collins. You know, we'll bring Florida to Fort Collins. But, you know, at the end of the day, if, if Jim McElwain is really the guy that Florida wants, um, I really don't think, you know, writing a check for $3 million, um, versus seven million is going to bankrupt that athletic department. So, you know, I think that situation is probably going to rectify itself in the next forty-eight hours. Um, you know, I think the other hot topic in, in the coaching circles is what I heard y'all discussing um, when I first called in. You know, is the you know the, the candidates for the Auburn defensive coordinator position, um, and, and you know, I, basically everything that I've been told is. Uh, you know, Will Muschamp is, is either going to end up in Texas A&M, South Carolina, uh, an NFL job, or he's going to take a year off and, you know, collect a paycheck from ESPN. Um, you know, I, I do think that, you know, Bill Clark and, and the Odom guy from Memphis and, and maybe to a lesser extent Charles Kelly um, are more viable candidates for that position. And, and I heard what you know, Kerry was saying about, you know, when, when Bill was the, the head coach at Prattville, um, you know, I, I had a lot of exposure with him when he was here in Birmingham and was the defensive coordinator at Hoover. Um, great football mind. Um, he's been successful at every level um, of, of high school and college football that he's been at, both as a coordinator and as a head coach. Um, you know, it, it would be interesting from a uh, you know, an Alabama standpoint, if he does end up at Auburn, it would basically be uh, kind of the equivalent of when Bill Oliver went to Auburn because Bill Clark is a huge Alabama guy. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see how all this stuff shakes out. You know, now, you know, today, um, you know, I think you've seen, you know, Michigan enter the, the head coaching search. Um, you know, the, obviously their number one guy is, is Jim Harbaugh. Um, 
you know, if they can't lure him to Ann Arbor, I think you might see a, a dark horse candidate emerge there uh, with the former Rutgers head coach, Greg Schiano. Uh, but probably the most interesting thing to me was, you know, seeing Nebraska come out of the gate and, and immediately target, you know, Arkansas's head coach, Brett Molina. Um that that that's going to be something that I think will be fun to watch. You know, for me personally, um, this is probably the the funnest time of the year. Um, you know, post Thanksgiving, prior to Christmas, you know, you've got the the coaching carousel and the drama that goes all along with it. Um, you always see a, a little bit of a push in recruiting. Uh, you know, prior to the December nineteenth dead period starting, so. It's a fun time of the year, you know, if you're a recruiting fan or a college football fan in general. William, uh, turning the page now to the Iron Bowl, uh, I know you like to watch the Big Ugly, so I want to ask you what uh, changes, if any, you saw. And I know there was Blake Sims, but I want to ask you specifically about the offensive line. After the third interception, when Alabama scored five touchdowns on five consecutive possessions, did you see anything different out there that the offensive line was doing better or technically better? You know, Kerry, I think this offensive line's, uh, you know, an interesting group. I mean, it's, it's not going to, you know, ever be remembered as, as one of the, you know, the, the better offensive lines in Alabama football history. But, you know, I think you have to, uh, you know, tip your hat to Mario Cristobal with the job that he's done with this bunch, uh, you know, I think across the board, um, four out of the five starters have, have all gotten better since the first game against West Virginia. Um, he's he's developed a, a long line of players that aren't starters. Um, you know, Grant Hill, Bradley Bozeman, uh, you know, some guys that, that are being developed for the future, and Josh Kasher, uh, Ross Piercebacher, um, you know, guys that can play multiple positions, uh, you know, along the offensive line. And, and that, that's something that is, is very valuable and, and very difficult to develop. Um, I, I didn't necessarily see um, a big change, so to speak. I think the biggest change uh, was at the quarterback position. Um, you know, I think Blake Sims – kind of allowed himself to get caught up in the moment of the Iron Bowl. Um, I think he, uh, especially when Auburn went up, um, you know, somewhere between, you know, halfway through the first quarter, halfway through the second quarter, um, I think maybe he pressed a little bit and was trying to force some things, um, you know, because he's such a, uh individually motivated person. And I'm not trying to say that he's not – you know, a great guy within the team concept. But I do think Blake plays the game every Saturday with a chip on his shoulder, uh, you know, wanting to prove, you know, his naysayers wrong about what he can and can't do as a quarterback. But, you know, to me, the the MVP of of the Iron Bowl uh, was standing over there on the sideline uh, with a headset and a uh, plastic-wrapped play uh, sheet in his hand, and it was Lane Kiffin. He obviously, uh, being on the sidelines, was able to help Blake uh, overcome. And I think there was a point in the game when Coca was warming up that they were very close to pulling Blake. But Saban himself uh, made the decision to stick with him. 
And uh, it turned out to be a very fruitful decision because after the third interception, Blake went 12 for 14 for three touchdowns, and he ran for a touchdown. And that, that play where he ran for the touchdown, William, uh, it's been a very long time. Maybe your teammate Danny Woodson, maybe even Walter Lewis, that Alabama had a guy that could even make that play down the goal line with that scramble. Yeah, and, and you know, it's it's something that, that you know, I, I guess maybe I'm fortunate enough to have seen um, and maybe the, you know, most Alabama fans haven't. But, you know, I have seen, you know, going all the way back to spring practice and, and you know, I know 90% of the Alabama fan base had such a bad taste in their mouth um, over Blake's performance in the A-Day game. But, you know, I saw two scrimmages in the spring previous to the 8 day game and two scrimmages in the summer um, where, you know, you saw a little bit of it against Florida. You saw a little bit of it against Texas A&M. But I promise you, and, and hopefully Alabama fans will get to see it, you know, against Missouri Saturday and, you know, if they come out on top, maybe in the playoffs. But, but what I've seen out of Blake Sims, and that's why I was – you know, involved in so many debates and arguments about Jacob Coker winning the job over Blake. Alabama fans still have not seen uh, a complete game from Blake Sims. I've seen much, much better things than, than what he's able has been able to up to this point to produce in games. Um, you know, it was against you know one of the, the the top five defenses in the country if you look at scoring defense, which is all I pay attention to. Um, you know, he's capable of doing better than what he's done up to this point. And, you know, I think uh, it's obvious that, you know, Blaine Kiffin is a a finalist for the Frank Royals Award. And regardless of what happens from this point forward, I don't see, and this is not me being a homer or or wearing crimson-colored glasses, I think if you look at what he inherited at the quarterback position, um, you know, a, a C-plus, B-minus level offensive line, you know, losing his second-best playmaker in Kenyon Drake to a season-ending injury. Uh, you know, I don't think Lane Kiffin is getting near enough credit from, you know, the Alabama fan base or, or the college football world in general for the job that he's done uh, this year with that offense. And, and easily, in my opinion, uh, the best coaching hire that Nick Saban's made since 2007. Well, you played with some pretty. Go ahead, Drew. No, I was just going to say I, I completely agree with what you're saying. Uh, I tweeted it out today, and it's stunning to me that Blake is—he's already broken in the single-season total offense record, which was not mentioned in the game notes after the Auburn game, which is just surprising to me. Uh, and he's only 75 yards now away from breaking the all-time passing yardage record in a season. And he's third within touchdown passes now with 24. I've just been completely amazed at Lane Kiffin's uh, development of Blake Sims. But I want to go to the other side of the ball, and I want to talk about somebody that uh, you, you and I have had many conversations about. And, and, and if he's listening to this show tonight, a good friend of mine, Brian Ritchie, has ripped him throughout his career. But yeah. I've got I've got to give a lot of credit to, to Nick Perry, and uh, Nick Perry has really stepped it up. He's never he's not going to I don't think he's going to play in the NFL, William. But he's had a very good senior year, made the biggest interception of the game, 
and become a very good complement to uh, Landon Collins. Just kind of talk about defensively, you know, how they've improved and since the first game, and uh, what, what what are your thoughts there? You know, I, I think in my opinion, you know, Nick uh, Nick Perry is the defensive complement to Austin Shepard. Um, you know, right. I think we're all good, guilty. Good I think we're all guilty, you know, when you when you look at the string of number one recruiting classes. You know, I think we're all guilty. I, you know, I learned my lesson the hard way with, you know, giving up on kids too soon in their careers. Um, you know, there wasn't any type of greatness, you know, dripping off of Austin Shepard's shoulders um, when he was a senior in high school. Um, in fact, most people thought the only reason why Alabama took him was to try and get his teammate, Jawan James. And I think Nick Perry, at his position, which is a skill position, um, you can draw a good analogy to. Um, you know, been in the system for you know five years. Uh, you know, it takes some guys a lot longer. You know, for every Cam Robinson that comes out of the gate and uh, you know plays at an elite level as a true freshman, you know, there's there's ten Nick Perrys that you can trot out there that it takes longer to do. And uh, I wouldn't necessarily uh, rule him out as somebody that could make an NFL roster. Obviously, he's not going to be a high draft pick. But, you know, there's somebody out there that's looking for someone that's been in a, you know, overly uh, complicated defensive scheme at the college level that will give Nick Perry an opportunity to make an NFL roster, you know, Either as a late round draft pick or an unsigned free agent, um, but but again, I think there's so many guys that that you could talk about for this 2014 season, which in my opinion is the best coaching job that Nick Saban's done up to this point. Um, you know, let's let's you know talk about one of his uh, counterparts back there in the defensive backfield, uh, Bradley Seals. You know, the guy was left for dead in the Georgia Dome. Uh, August 31st, we haven't seen or heard from him since. And, you know, he comes in Saturday night and saves the day. Uh, and I think that's Very the, good point. You know, I think that's the unique and special thing about this team. Um, is this the best Alabama football team that I've seen, uh, specifically in regards to the Nick Saban era? No, it's not. But... It's it's the best team. It's the it's the most complete team. You know, when you talk about Blake Sims, you know, when you talk about Ari Quanjo, you know, overcoming, you know, genetic defects in his knees, um, Bradley Sill, Nick Perry, um, you know, the list goes on and on. And I think that's something that, you know, I think if somebody got Nick Saban off to the side, you know, away from the media and the microphones and the tape recorders, it's got to give Nick a lot of personal satisfaction to have a guy, a group of guys probably, you know, going in, you know, coming out of spring practice, going into SEC media days at the end of July. Um, nobody really thought this team, myself included, um, would be in the position that they're in. Um, certainly the coaching staff deserves a lot of credit, but, I think even more so to a greater extent, you know, the senior leaders like Blake Sims and Nick Perry and, and those, you know, underclassmen that all, you know, play their roles to, to a great level. That, that's really where the credit lies. And I think it's, uh, 
you know, the Amari Coopers, you know, a kid like T.J. Yeldon for three years. Um, you know, he only really had one year in 2012 as a true freshman, you know, to run behind an elite offensive line. And all T.J.'s done for three years is get up and go to every single class five days a week, go to practice, uh, keeps his nose clean. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of great, great storylines that I think you could draw out from this 2014 team. Well, and I wanted to ask you something about that. You bring up a great point. And I said it today in something that I published on our, on our website. I think T.J. Yeldon is underappreciated. Absolutely. Uh, he's taking a lot of heat for fumbling. I've given him some heat, but I think he's a really a tough kid who can do everything well. He's had a few drop passes this year, but – I just think overall, though, he can run, he can, you know, he can catch, he can block. I think he's going to be a really good pro. Obviously, I think he's going to turn pro after this season. And selfishly, I wish he wouldn't, but I understand where he's coming from. And I just think of the Nick Saban era, he's probably, along with Glenn Coffey, but I think he's a better player than Glenn, no disrespect to Glenn. But I just think he's a completely underappreciated guy in, in the whole Nick Saban era. This far. Yeah, and, and you know, you bring up a good point, you know, the, the and I do think he gets dinged for the fumbles and, and the fumbles really don't bother me. Um what what surprises me, it doesn't bother me, what surprises me more than anything is his dropped passes. Because when he right. was a senior in high school, um I thought, you know, not only was he a five star running back, but I thought he was a five star wide receiver as well. Um, right. The drop passes are, are the thing that really surprises me more than anything. But, you know, for, you know, every father out there that's, you know, listening to this show um, that has a daughter, your goal in life um, is to see your daughter marry a young man that has the same character, uh, work ethic, and, and approach to life that T.J. Yelp does. You know, this, this is a kid that... Um, could get by with an average to poor work ethic. And, you know, he uh, approaches every day of his life in Tuscaloosa, you know, like he's a walk-on trying to make the roster. Um, like I said, I mean, he he doesn't go out. You won't ever find him on the strip. Um, you know, he gets up, he goes to class, he goes to practice, he lifts weights, um, you know, goes to study hall, and then he locks himself in his room all night and plays video games. And uh, the, the decision for TJ to go pro after this year was made a long time ago. Um, right. You know, we spend all night, you know, talking about why that's a good decision based on the shelf life of an NFL running back. But it is what it is. But yeah, he's. Uh, I think quietly, um, you know, with the the screen pass removed from the LSU game um, two years ago. I think he's quietly had one of the better careers as a running back in, in Alabama football history. And I wanted to ask one more thing and let Kerry take it about Phil as well. Uh, I was, like anybody, I was down on Bradley after the first ball game, but it turns out Kevin White was one of the best receivers in the country uh, for West Virginia. But do you think, do you see him starting in the game this week? I think he and Eddie are definitely competing and, well, at the very least, I think would you agree that he will play a role uh, Saturday? Yeah, I do, and that's one of the things that that, that I like 
um, about the way Coach Saban conducts things on the defensive side of the football. You know, um, earlier this season, it was a weekly competition between Eddie Jackson and, and uh, Tony Brown. Um, and, you know, maybe it was a little unrealistic to expect a true freshman cornerback to, you know, do any better than what Tony has done. And I've got no complaints about what I've seen from Tony as a true freshman. Um, but, yeah, I do expect going forward Bradley to, um, if he doesn't win the starting job, to, to have a role. Um, you know, he's a guy that, you know, when I go to practice and, and I watch, you know, one of the reasons I predicted him to be a starter for the West Virginia game is he's the only defensive back on campus that can turn and run stride for stride with Amari uh, Cooper. And, uh, you know, that that's a position where that's very important. I agree with you. I don't think any of us had any idea um, that the white kid from West Virginia was going to turn out to be the you know the second best wide receiver in college football this year. Um, but but again, I think that's another great story. Um, you know, we haven't seen or heard from Bradley you know except in mop up duty and blowout since that West Virginia game. And I mean, he he stepped up to the plate. Um, you know, responded well. You know, his teammates and the coaching staff needed somebody to come in and kind of change the course of direction that was going on on that side of the field. Obviously, Eddie was struggling, and uh, you know, he answered the call when his number was you know was was blown out. So, you know, I can't say enough positive things. Again, there's just another you know example of what I think has made this such a special season. Um, you know, he was left for dead in the Georgia Dome on August 31st. And, you know, three months later, uh, you know, he dusts himself off and walks out there and has a great performance in the second half of the Iron Bowl. And if they'd interpreted the rules properly, he'd have been credited with an interception. That's a whole other story. Uh, <laughs> uh, turning to the uh, national scene, William, were you uh, as surprised as some of us were? I wasn't geographically surprised, but I was numerically surprised with the rankings that came out last night. You know, Kerry, what's what's interesting about that, and I don't really have a lot of things in common with Nick Saban, but one thing that I do have is I've paid absolutely zero attention to uh, the playoff committee and their rankings, you know, since it started in October. Uh, today I actually uh, took the time and, and went to the playoff committee website and looked at some of the people that are sitting on that committee. And inside of 30 seconds, I spotted three or four of them that have about as much business being on that committee as I do piloting the space shuttle. Um, I, I, I was just shocked because I hadn't paid any attention to it. I, I, me personally, I, I didn't think there was anything wrong or broken with the BCS um, process uh, certainly, if, if they went to a BCS, you know, process with the plus one game at the end of it, um, to me, I thought that was the better option. But you know, we, we can sit here and spend a couple of hours, you know, debating and talking about it. If it were me, if I was on that committee, um, you know, Florida State would be number one for me. Um, you know, they haven't lost a game in two years. Um, it's obvious with, with, you know, them falling in the rankings that this committee uh, pays a lot of attention to style points and the method in which you win a game. 
um, which I don't think should matter. I've got a pretty cute national championship ring in my dresser uh, right now from a season where, you know, we won a lot of games in an ugly fashion. So, um, and I do think there is a uh, undercurrent within that committee to give the college football world the matchup that everybody wants to see, which is Alabama versus Florida State. Um, so, you know, I, I think a lot of people, um, you know, want to spend a lot of time debating that. I'm not one of them. Um, but I think it's it's a foregone conclusion that we're probably 24 months at the most away from seeing this thing go from a 14 to an 18 playoff. It seemed to me that it was almost geographically done weeding because they knew they'd sell out. Sure, the involved might not travel that far to a ball game. From the you obviously, I want Alabama to play New Orleans in the first round. When the season started, I was not going to be to it because of ticket sales. Because neither Auburn or TCU would have bought that many people in New Orleans, in my opinion. Well, you know, the thing that's kind of jumped off the page at me um, that I wonder the the viability of it going forward um, is, you know, how much longer is the Big Ten and the SEC going to continue with having a championship game? Um, You know, if this thing – grows the way it looks like it is, and they're going to go from a 14 to an 18 playoff, um, it, it almost looks like on the surface that, you know, the Big Ten and the SEC, um, you know, their their conference champion is going to be penalized, so to speak, for having to play an extra game, uh, you know, versus some of these conferences that, you know, don't even have a championship game. So I think that's something, um, you know, to pay close attention to going forward as well. Uh, if you're going to make it, well, this is Thomas. If you're going to make it um, an eight-team playoff, would you just cut out championship games and maybe drop a game from the regular season? Because without that, you're talking an NFL-type season now with almost no break. And if there was any hope of the NCAA getting out of the Ed O'Bannon decision, that would completely kill it. Is that how you would do that? Well, Thomas, I think you just brought up a, a great point and something that I was talking about earlier today on another show. Um, just exactly, you know, w- with the money that's involved, with this playoff committee, you know, driving uh, college football now, exactly what purpose and, and how useful is the NCAA going forward? Well, I mean, what, what is their purpose in college football except to, you know, suck 75 to $100 million a year out of the sport. Um, but they've proven that they're incapable of governing uh, their own rule book. Um, there, there's really no usefulness to them anymore, you know, in the sport. You mentioned the Ed O'Bannon case. Um, you know, I, I remember a couple of years ago hearing, uh, I, can't, I, I can't remember now if it was uh, uh you know, a guy with CBS or ESPN talking about this a couple of years ago, you know, 
there's a, a greater chance than not that the, the, the big, you know, 20 teams that, that can turn a profit with football, uh, you know, waking up one day and, and telling the NCAA to take a hike. You know, we're going to pay our players $1,000 a month stipend. Uh, we don't need you anymore, and, and your usefulness to this sport has, has expired. Well, let's turn it a little bit to recruiting. Uh, what are your uh, excellent sources from East Mississippi Community College telling you here lately, William? Well, I think the, the first thing is, uh, you know, something that, you know, a month ago looked like it was a done deal. And, uh, you know, that was with Lorenzo Phillips going to Alabama. You know, as we sit here tonight, two and a half weeks before the dead period starts, which is a very crucial time for, for midterm JUCO enrollees. Um, you know, a glitch has popped up with his transcript. Um, I don't know if that's something that can be rectified or corrected in time for him to be a midterm enrollee, which certainly jeopardizes, um, you know, his ability to be a member of this recruiting class. Um, you know, his teammate, D.J. Jones, is still a possibility for Alabama in this class. Um, you know, his exposure on the recruiting scene has, you know, kind of expanded. Um, you know, there's some other teams that are, that are, even though he's a current Florida State commitment, um, you know, Auburn's gotten involved, Old Miss is involved. Um, I think that's certainly a situation to watch, you know, as we close in on the dead period day. Um, but, you know, really the, the one that I think Alabama fans need to pay, uh, you know, attention to, he's not at East Mississippi, he's out at Hutchison, Kansas, um, you know, is the, is the defensive lineman who's now considered the number one junior college player in the country, and I'm probably going to butcher his first name. I think it's Montravius Lewis, um, you know, just a, a an elite game-changer type prospect as a, uh, you know, a defensive end. Um, I think you know, he's scheduled to come in December the 12th on an official visit. This is one of those deals that's kind of been, you know, kept under the radar, so to speak, to try and keep pressure off of him. He's a current South Carolina commitment. But, you know, if I was an Alabama fan, based on the information that I've heard since Sunday, I would keep a real close eye on him. I'm sitting here watching on my phone, William, while we're talking, who would demolish Pratville 28-7 early third quarter. And i got to ask you, with the Lorenzo Phillips uh, development, does this potentially put a scenario into place that Alabama could take Adonis Thomas and Daryl Williams? You know, Kerry, is, is, well, I, you know, I'm going to try and keep this as politically correct as I can. Um, Thank you. you know, Obviously, Adonis Thomas is a, is a take for the Alabama staff any way you want to cut it. Um, but, you know, with the numbers crunch, um, if they can't get, you know, the luxury of taking a guy like Phillips, you know, if the transcript situation can get worked out, is, is that he's a midterm enrollee, which allows you to back count it. Um, you know, with what's, in, with, with what's in play at the linebacker position already in this class, and what Alabama has at their disposal next year inside the state of Alabama with Mac Wilson at Carver Montgomery and Ben Davis over at Gordo, you know, two 
legitimate five-star game changers at the linebacker position. I'm just not real excited or sold on the possibility of taking a Daryl Williams. Um, you know, it, it's it, to me, it's it's kind of goes back to another situation where Alabama's in with you know with Damian Harris at the running back spot. I think you have to look at the overall team needs. Um, you know, Drew and I talked about this the other day when when we were asked on the website to you know, give a prediction on how Alabama finishes this class out. And, and, you know, the conversation came up with, you know, will Alabama take both Isaiah Prince and and Matt Womack from Mississippi? And I think if you look at how many offensive linemen Alabama signed last year, you know, in that that epic O-line class and what they've got on paper right now, um, I just don't see how that they can afford to take both guys. Um, you know, I think you have to look at when you're projecting this kind of stuff, you have to look at the numbers from the previous year um, versus what's available this year and projecting what they can produce next year from a number standpoint at each each position. Um, I wouldn't necessarily rule out Alabama taking Darrell Williams along along with Adonis Thomas but I'm not necessarily convinced that, that would be the best move for the football program. And that's a great point about the two juniors, uh, really great point. Uh, I mentioned about how I'm kind of glancing at my phone watching Hoover with the Miles Travel. I wanted to ask you, though, William, uh, what what do you remember about Josh Nibble as a teammate? Um, a guy that was highly motivated to be as good of a football player as he could be. Um, you know, he was a guy that, you know, had a high school signed with Southern Miss as a quarterback, um, you know, came to Alabama and spent a little bit of time at that position, but quickly segued to a H-back type role. Um, you know, Josh probably looks better physically as a, a 42-year-old man than he did when he was a, a 21-year-old college football player. Um, you know, somebody that, you know, grew up in a football family, much in the same, you know, kind of playing career, uh, coaching career track as Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, grew up with a, in a family where, you know, high school coaching was the, the breadwinner for the family. Um, he, he's in a great situation at Hoover High School. Um, you know, he, he gets the pick of the litter of probably the, you know, the, the western end of Jefferson County, um, where a lot of good football players come out of. Um, he's kind of, you know, taking what Rush Probst built over there and, and you know, taking it kind of to another level as far as, you know, what he expects out of the, the feeder schools, that the junior high programs to feed into Hoover. You know, they're running his same playbook at the 7th and 8th grade level. Um, you know, he's a, a very detailed-oriented guy. Um, and, you know, the thing that I, that I like about him as a, as a high school coach and somebody that could easily transition uh, to, to the college coaching level is, you know, he, he has a set of, you know, values and principles that he holds himself to. Um, you know, some of the listeners out there may not know this, but if you want to work for Josh Niblett, at Hoover High School, uh, part of your personal uh, employment contract 
uh, it is stated that, you know, you have to work out one hour a day every day, and you are not allowed to be seen in the Hoover City limits consuming an alcoholic beverage. Um, so, you know, he's a guy that has his principles and his values, and, you know, he walks the walk and talks the talk with him. And, uh, you know, I think he's a, a throwback to, you know, the 60s and 70s as far as, you know, what he asks his staff and his players to do. But none of those things are anything less than what he expects out of himself. And, and William, I, I want to—I agree with that. I think he's done an outstanding job uh, at Hoover, and they're obviously Pravel just cashed in a touchdown at 28-14, middle of the third quarter. But Hoover's still well in control of the ball game. But I just wanted to talk to you because we've only got a few minutes left. I wanted to talk to you about the matchup Saturday, and, and what are your thoughts on Missouri? I think they're dangerous because of the two pass rushers. Uh, obviously, Cam is going to be a little banged up with the shoulder. They, they, if they have to, obviously, Shep has proven he can play the left tackle spot. Grant Hill has been uh, done a good job at right tackle, but still, they have two good pass rushes. I think it's probably the best pass rush Alabama faces. The Gators, obviously, they did a good job against Florida. But also, uh, Matt Mock is a guy that can move around a little bit, and he's a little bit hot and cold, but they have the ability to throw the ball vertically. Uh, and Auburn had, you know, six plays of 30-plus yards. What are your thoughts and kind of a prediction on the matchup? Well, you know, I think if, if you spend any time, you know, studying the, the Nick Saban and Kirby Smart defense, there, there's three things that they're susceptible to. Um, one of them, in my opinion, the, the most susceptible thing that they're, uh, you know, prone to, to falling prey to is a – a quarterback that, that is a dual threat guy that can you know can get outside that can run and throw you know a Nick Marshall a Johnny Manziel um, you know Matty Mock's not that guy but but the other two things yeah. and I think this all hinges on you know whether or not you know Matty Mock is is able to hold up to the bright lights the big stage of Atlanta um, you know the two other things you know going all the way back to '08 that I've noticed Um, I think they're susceptible to 
Um, you know, Alabama's offensive line having some opportunities to, to get some, you know, some big rushing yards against them because of the size mismatch. But certainly this is probably the best complete pass rushing defensive line that they'll face all year, um, which to me screams uh, draws and screen passes to slow them down a little bit. But you know, I think it's a, it's kind of a, you know, it's interesting on one hand, but there's a lot of unknowns on the other. You know, from a, a defensive coordinator standpoint, if you feel like you're, you know, you're outmatched at the point of attack, you know, one of the simplest and easiest things to resort to, um, you know, is to slant and stunt your defensive lineman. Um, you know, an obvious, you know, run situation place, you know, first and 10, um, you know, third and short. So it'll be interesting to see how, you know, Gary Pinkle and, and uh, Steckle, the defensive coordinator, approaches that side of the football. But I don't think there's any secret about what they're going to try and do offensively. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I think they're going to test Alabama's corners. I think they'll try some speed sweeps and misdirection runs. They'll try to get hands or run ball, but he's not going to be 100%. I think the key is going to be Alabama just needs to turn them over when they get the opportunity. And then just on their defensive line, they're going to have to run the ball. I think Yeldon needs to have another big game like he did last week. And then, of course, Blake's going to have to make some plays, also with his legs, which I think can bother Missouri. But I think obviously they're going to you know do some things with Amari Cooper, but I haven't seen anybody really slow Amari down but Arkansas. And uh, you know some people said he got he was stopped by Ole Miss, but he had nine catches for 90 yards. So I think uh, Alabama will find ways to get in the ball. I think Kiffin will have a good plan, and I think the the, the point spread is about right. I think I'm I'm predicting 31-17, but I think Missouri is a scrappy team. And I guess uh, before we close. I know you playing a lot of things with this carousel stuff with the coaching uh, carousel, but I, I wonder, William, the job Pinkle's done at Missouri, why Nebraska and Michigan aren't really – his name never comes up with him. Is he, I know you know a lot of coaches. Is he someone that's just happy where he is? Well, you know, the, the interesting thing about Gary Pinkle, Drew, is, you know, number one, not only does he have some history uh, from his college coaching days – I mean, uh, college playing days uh, with, with Nick Saban. Uh, but, but he also crossed paths early in his career with another former Alabama head coach, Dennis Franchone. Um, yeah. he, he was a guy, uh, you know, along with Les Miles and, and Urban Meyer, uh, when, when Mal Moore was going through the, the dark days of hiring, uh, you know, everybody and their brother whose first name was Mike. Um, you know, from 1997 to, uh, you know, 2003, uh, you know, Gary Pinkle was begging for the Alabama head coaching job. Um, but since that time, um, he's kind of, yeah, the, the polite thing to say is he's kind of developed some baggage, uh, you know, got a DUI, got caught, you know, with some infidelity in his marriage. Um, which both of those things are really not outside of the norm with, with most coaches that I know. Uh, it's never happened to any of Alabama's assistant coaches. No, no, not no, football or basketball, Kerry. Um, ever. Not now, so, not ever. 
so so you know, but no, I, I think Gary Pinkle is is obviously a, a great football coach. The interesting thing to me is in all the years that they spent out in the Big Twelve Conference, um, you know, that they never really established themselves as an elite program. And in year three in the SEC, they've gone to Atlanta twice. Um, and, you know, that's a, an interesting program from a geographic standpoint. You know, they've got St. Louis to draw from. Uh, you know, they can reach over to Memphis, down into Texas, Oklahoma. Um, you know, I think Gary Pinkle is a very, very underrated uh, college football coach. But as far as, you know, the, the you know, the, the other jobs that have opened at Nebraska and Michigan, um, I think if you dig a little bit deeper and, and do some internet research, you'll, you'll find the answers that you're looking for. Um, it's not as severe, but much in the same way why you'll probably never see Bo Pelini and his brother Carl um, together again as a head coach and a defensive line coach at a big-time college football program again. Well, listen, William, uh, we want to thank you for joining us again here on BAMS Radio. We're about to uh, head into a break, but we certainly want to thank you for your time, and we uh, hope you have a good night, brother. Hey, guys, I appreciate y'all having me on. All right, that is William Redfish Barger of AlabamaIntel.com. A great job, as always. We touched on a variety of topics, all of them informative, and we'll try to do some more of that uh, after the break and Next hour, we want to invite everyone to call in and talk to us. Give us your questions, your thoughts, your comments. The Big Heads Barbecue Hotline to talk to the BAMS Radio is 714-510-3707. Again, that number is 714-510-3707. We'll talk more about Big Heads Barbecue after the top of the hour. But for now, you're listening to BAMS Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. Take Bama Sports Radio with you on the go and in your car with the free iPhone app. With cutting-edge features including live broadcasts, on-demand radio, play-pause buttons, and text connect, allowing you to text into shows giving True Tide fans an interactive sports radio experience like never before. Go to BamaSportsRadio.com or search Bama Sports Radio in the iPhone app store to get true 24-hour radio on Alabama sports anywhere in the world, only from Bama Sports Radio. Keep up with Bama Sports Radio off the air and on the move for the latest news and programming on all things Alabama. Follow us on Twitter at Bama Sports Radio and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Bama Sports Radio. Bama Sports Radio, giving you all tied, all the time. Shovel pass in the middle, picked up by Darren. 
It is five minutes after the hour, and you're listening to another edition of BAMS Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. Thank you for joining us on this Wednesday night. I'm Kerry Clark, your co-host from BamaMag.com, joined as always by Drew DeArmond of AlabamaIntel.com, and also from Alabama Intel, Thomas Watts, back in the studio, making it all run like the smooth ship it is, and always will be as long as he's in charge. Uh, you know, we were talking through uh, before we let we to go a little bit about Josh Niblett, and there's a there's a little bit of buzz about him being a candidate at, at Samford. He wouldn't even have to move or anything. And uh, even though Samford is not the highest paying job in the world, it does pay more than than Hoover. So, uh, you think that might be a possibility? I mean, it could be, Kerry. I mean, it, it all the success he's had as a high school coach, and you know they're well on their way right now. They answered the touchdown. They're up 35-14 here, four minutes left in the third quarter, and. You know, they've uh, managed expectations at Hoover every year. Uh, you know, as far as the last I checked, the two teams that they lost to, and, you know, I heard a lot of heat on Hoover after they lost those first two games. But i got to tell you, I think last I saw, Colgate County was undefeated in the playoffs and with uh, Rush Probst. And then, uh, you know, obviously uh, my, my, Miami Central that beat them had lost one game to Booker T. Washington, who's nationally ranked 21-20. to So, they lost the two very fine football teams, and I think you'd think Josh eventually would want to test himself and challenge himself and move on to the college level like Bill Clark. Uh, but I also think you could end up seeing Rush Probst eventually doing that. <laughs> now he yeah, won't be at Sanford. Yeah, it won't be at Sanford. Uh, <laughs> he might end up moving on to the college level, maybe in the state of Georgia, but uh, finally getting an opportunity. But uh, I could see Josh Nibble doing that, uh, but I'm. I, but it's going to be interesting because Bill Clark did such a great job at South Alabama as the defensive coordinator. And as you said, he only spent one year at Jacksonville State. If he had stayed there another year, Kerry, he probably would have had a very good chance at the Troy job. But, but, uh, but you know, but he, he moved on after a year, took the UAB job. But he will be okay. I mean, it's just going to depend. He could be the defensive coordinator at Auburn, or he might want to continue to be a head football coach and. uh Stanford, I know it won't pay as much money, Kerry, but it's still a very fine job and a good one double-A league. If you win there, you can move on. And uh, if he can win at UAB, he can win at Stanford. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it would be a, a significant pay cut. But uh, I think I think yeah. if he gets to choose between the head job at Stanford and the D.C. job at Auburn, he'll go to Auburn. Oh, well, he, I don't he, know for sure that Gus Malzahn has offered him that job. But right. He's he just on the list. I, I think, you know, I think there's a chance Bill Clark could end up there, but I think if Samford, if I were Samford, I would be going after Bill Clark hard. I would oh, be true. Trying, no doubt. I would be trying to lock him up. I know the defensive coordinator, long-time under, under excuse me, Pat Sullivan's been mentioned, uh, Rhett Lashley, the offensive coordinator at Auburn, and there could be something there because of the relationship between Malzahn and Sullivan. Cody Burns is the wide receivers coach there. So, you know, but Lashley – uh, would have to take uh, probably some sort of pay cut, but he would still be a head football coach at a very young age. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what they decide to do there. Uh, but regardless, I agree with you, Bill Clark is going to be working somewhere in in the college level. I mean, I, I don't know if you heard it, but even uh, Jim Donnan on Feinbaum was uh, pining for him yesterday. So somebody will hire Bill Clark, and and, they, and he will do a fine job. 
Yeah, that's a fine ball segment I do not ever listen to. I don't think that Jim Donovan brings jack crap to the table. But anyway, uh, a guy who brings something to the table uh, from the 334 area code has joined us now on the Big Head Barbecue Hotline. Welcome in Big C from Greenville, Alabama. And I guarantee you there wasn't hardly anybody in that stadium happier when Alabama pulled off that Iron Bowl win than Big C. Uh, what was going through your mind when that clock hit the zeros? You heard that last round of Jammer, Big C. I loved it. We ain't got to ourselves from last year. We ain't got to worry about seeing kick six plays anymore for a while. No, as I told some people, Big C, I hope they have DVDs. Said it, man. What did you say, Dan Drew? I said, I, I, Big C, I just, as, I, as I told some people, I just hope they have their DVDs. I'm sure they do. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure they do. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think that other parts of Lee County still have VHSs, but they got it somehow. A friend of mine said he hopes this uh, kick six will last as long as I punt by my punt. You know, uh, it'll be the next time it'll be a long, uh, the next window ain't that long, but I don't know if they'll be that way or not. But that's just an interesting comment from him. He thought maybe maybe nine years later they'll be winning again against us, but I don't want to say that. I might be talking a little too soon on that, but was definitely happy. Now, I got a little... It was looking like I was getting a little frustrated when it got down by 12, but I never gave up on them. And then it just seemed like they pushed a button, and all of a sudden they outscored them 34 to 11. It was just amazing what happened there. And, you know, what do you think got in? Well, yeah, and, and really, you know, it was really 34 to 3. They, they got a touchdown with 20 seconds to go, but when the game was on the line, it was 34 to 3. Well, I agree, and oh, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use an old Bill Parcellsism for both of y'all. You are what you are, and the bottom mm-hmm. line is Auburn is a bunch. Is, is a, not was a terrible defensive football team, and they weren't going to morph into one. And if Alabama kept attacking them, despite Blake Sims' mistakes, they continued to score, and they did. They were balanced. I really like the fact that they took Auburn's heart from them and. A good point by a good friend of this show, Rodney Orr, and I talked about this on Sunday after the game. We were both exhausted, but we talked about it. The, the, and this is a credit to Nick Saban and the defensive staff for rotating a lot of guys. Alabama's defense played 90 snaps, guys, but they didn't look gassed in the fourth quarter. They were pressuring the QB. Auburn's defense played 61 snaps, and they were gassed. They was gassed. That's right. Oh, they really looked, really looked gassed in yeah, that's really amazing. You think about it, they score, Alabama scored three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Gee, that sort of reminded me of the good old days on that, how they went on that explosion of scoring like they did. You know, it did. The way that they uh, picked it up and came back and won, it, it did remind me of the old days as well, Big C. But I'll say this, as an Alabama fan and, and, and has followed the defense of the University of Alabama, as happy as I was to get that win, Big C, I'm not going out and buying no shirt. It shows we gave up 44 points. No. No. No, I understand. I'm not even buying a shirt. It shows we won the game. I, I particularly won it. I enjoyed my cigar very much. Uh, and we don't have to hear it for 365. And uh, I'll tell you something else, Big C and Drew, both of y'all, uh, just an observation here. Uh, a lot of times when you uh, – when you beat Nick Saban a, a couple of years later at Auburn, you end up getting processed. We've seen it happen to Tuberville. We've seen it happen to Chiswick. Now, Malzahn beat him last year and, and gave him all he wanted this year, but he's still, uh, you know, another uh, – I'll, I'll say this. 
if he gets beat, I don't care what the score is, two more years in a row by Nick Saban, he gone. Don't tell me they won't process him. Well, Kerry, I'll just say something to you, Andy. He's already been processed as the offensive coordinator at Auburn after 2011. <laughs> I was told he was cold to leave, and then oh, he really? went to Arkansas State. I was told that. I, it's been, there's been somebody who's told that that wasn't the case. I heard basically that both he and Ted Roof, after that blowout, were told to look for employment elsewhere. Oh, Ruth really? definitely was. And Gus Malzahn decided to go to Arkansas State. Regardless if he was told to do that or not, Kerry, he left. Okay? And then... And and I don't really think – and if you remember correctly, and most Auburn people are sane Auburn people. I know that's a very small percentage. But any sane Auburn person, he was not the first choice when they hired him as head coach. No. But you know what? Neither, neither was Jim McElwain if he takes the Florida job. He was like the third choice. So sometimes you end up still getting a pretty good coach. But well, my point was was that, you know, Toterville won over Saban in 07. Right. And uh, Chis, Chisnick uh, came back and won in 10 – and then Goober Malzahn won last year. Sometimes after you beat the guy, he processes you in a couple of years. And I, I, I just, you know, Jim Trestle's show calls is over in about two years. So I could see an orange and blue sweater vest on the plane. <laughs> I just, you know. <laughs> well, yeah. Gary, if he can't fix the defense, it's not going to matter. I mean, they, it's, what was proven this year beyond a shadow of a doubt is you have to play defense to win. Uh, yep. and, and the, the notion that you have that you can just outscore people and play mediocre defense is ridiculous. You have to be able to stop people, and Auburn couldn't stop running water. And and here's what I laugh at, Kerry. I hear him saying the schedule caught up to us. That's an excuse. Alabama has been uh, in the same position since 2008 in Nick Saban's second year. We Alabama has had a chance to be in the national championship race every November since he took over from his second season on. And the only time Alabama was out of the national championship race in late November was in 2010 after the red, the game in Red Stick. Well, they can talk all they want to about the schedule, but, you know, how about that horseshoe finally fell out of your ass? That's exactly right. That's more <laughs> what it is, Terry. Auburn, Auburn cannot handle expectations. Alabama this year has got Blake Sims playing quarterback, who has never started in, in, as a fifth-year senior, has got Nick Perry, who everybody has has discounted throughout his career starting at free safety, Cyrus Jones starting at corner. I, this is the, I, the, the cornerback play is for the second straight year has been subpar overall, Kerry, and yet Alabama finds a way. Reggie Ragland never started a game in his life. He's got 90, nearly 90 tackles. What Alabama has done is play to a standard and step up and stay relevant in the national race. Auburn fell on their faces and now want to say, oh, the schedule was too tough. A month ago, hey, they thought they were the going to the playoffs. The ball off your center's ass. In the there you go. Okay. <laughs> a month ago, they thought they were going to the national championship game. Whoa. Oh, yeah. That's all I'm going to say about it. Alabama handles expectations. Auburn gets their ass whipped and comes up with excuses. Next question. Next question. How big a crowd y'all think is going to be in in Atlanta Saturday? How big a crowd? Seventy-seven thousand. What it holds? No, I just no. I'm going over there Saturday, and I was talking to somebody. He didn't. 
tip ticket. If somebody's going to buy sell tickets, they're not going to get much money for them, or they're going to be. Uh, they didn't think there's going to be that many people there. I don't know. That's just what somebody was saying. I'm not going to say who said that. And that's why I was curious. Well, I think it's big C. That I will say this: the tickets are for a game of that magnitude are inexpensive. Still not cheap by any stretch. But it's, you're not no, going to be paying several hundred to a thousand dollars. But I agree with Kerry. The tickets will be sold. I mean, it's going to be a full house. Mm-hmm. Well, what do y'all know about Missouri? You won't see no empty seats. You might see a few empty seats. But it's going to be it's going to be pretty packed in there, man. Well, um, let me ask y'all this: What do y'all think about Florida State dropping the number four? Stupid. In a way, it's stupid. In a way, it's I think it's a geographic deal. They're trying to get it in position for Alabama to play them in the Sugar Bowl because they want to make sure the Sugar Bowl sells out, Dixie. If Alabama was playing TCU or Oregon in that game, I'm not so sure it sells out. Well, uh, I think it would for Oregon, Kerry. A lot of people want to see Alabama play Oregon. Uh, they do, but they but, don't all want to pay $200 a ticket to see it when well, they play the game the next week in Dallas, maybe. But That's TCU, my point. The TCU, I agree with that, and even Baylor and all that other stuff. But I will say this, and I'm gonna, I, I think there's still going to be more change. I think Florida State will probably end up third if they win. Now, I'm not so sure. I, you know, Alabama's got to take care of business. Florida State's got to take care of business. And, and Georgia Tech's playing good football. You know, Kansas State is going to give Baylor all they want, in my opinion. And then, and then you've got, uh, and then you've got. Uh, an easy game should be for TCU. But if Kansas State, you know, whips Baylor, or excuse me, then Baylor's done. But if Baylor beats Kansas State, and, you know, even if even if TCU's impressive, since Kansas State is the ninth-ranked team in the country, I think Baylor, if they win that, say, by 10 to 14 points, I think there's a chance Baylor will jump TCU. I don't care if they're third and seventh or whatever it is right now. And then yep. Ohio State. Ohio State, if they beat Wisconsin, they're going to be right there. But I, to be honest with y'all, I'm just going to. I don't think Wisconsin. Or excuse me, the Ohio State's going to beat Wisconsin. Not no, with those things. No. Well, um, on my on my system, gradingcollegefootball.com, I got TCU number five and Baylor number six, and it's just a two point separation. And you know, if Baylor wins this weekend. They're going to get six points for beating the right team. And then we're going to go back through there. And then one thing that uh, Baylor's got over TCU, not only would they be co-champions and they'd each get five points for winning a conference championship, but Baylor would get five points for beating the conference champion because TCU is a conference champion uh, of a Power 5 team. And that ought to help them out in that regard. And nobody's even brought that up on any of these national talk shows. True. Yeah, I don't get the thing about when you beat somebody head to head and they still run the other person ahead of you and you got the same record. That's just stupid. That, yeah, that uh, is yeah. that's dumb. I, that's I don't care about all that. Was doing it. Yeah, that that to me, you don't have any credibility when you're when you when, when you start saying they're playing better football, yada yada yada. The bottom line is, is if one of them is, if they have the same record and they and the other team beat that one head to head, I don't give a crap. There should be something in the bylaws. For that to be the difference, I mean, I'm sorry they they played each other head to head. I know uh, I heard Mike Goins this morning in the wee hours. Well, they're thinking that 
it was it was basically that they had to score three touchdowns to beat them in the fourth quarter. So they scored them. I mean, I mean they won the game for God's sake. And now uh, it, they're playing a number nine, the number nine team in America on their home field, Kansas State, who we all know is a good football team. And T- TCU's playing, sorry, two and nine Iowa State. So if Baylor wins win that ball game and is impressive doing it, and then you know, and then it comes down to both teams are eleven and one and whatnot, and you know Baylor beat TCU. To me, you have to take Baylor. Agree. I totally yeah. agree. I hope they can understand that. Uh, and I don't think I, I don't think it's a hundred percent done deal. Florida State's going to beat Georgia Tech. I mean, I, think I don't. Will. Georgia Tech showed me a lot Saturday. Yeah, they uh, they're they're scrappy. And they beat Georgia, and they moved the ball. And I think we all know that. I, I heard somebody today on my website say that Florida State was, was, had a really good defensive team. I don't know what crack they're smoking. Because I've sat there and watched. I, and he's talking about how big and strong their defensive line is. All I know is they give up points every game, and they have to hold on for dear life. I think they have a pretty good defense. But it, and then the most ridiculous statement I heard was that Jalen Ramsey was as good as Amari Cooper. Did somebody quit, you know, what what is what are they watching? Jalen Ramsey's a very good defensive back, but he couldn't cover Amari Cooper one on one of his life depending on it. I would I would stake everything I know as a football fan on it. Well, there is not yep. a defensive back in America that can cover Amari Cooper one on one. Because guess what? Vernon Hargrave is supposed to be a top ten pick and how did that go, America? He got abused. Uh, Big C, did it? Uh, did it break your heart to have to take Marshall out of your poll? No, <laughs> no, it did not. I was watching Thank that game, man. Mean, when uh, when Western Kentucky went for two, I just jumped out of my chair. I didn't even have no skin in the game. I just didn't think that Marshall deserved to be undefeated. And of course, I had to ding you on Twitter and Facebook. I guess you didn't even read that. But anyway, I did. Uh, I, I, I did. <laughs> you chose to show class. <laughs> he Big C was not one of the ones dropping the f bombs during Dixieland delight. I don't think. No, I don't. I, I try not. Uh, only time when I said we, you know, when they do that song, we beat the hell out of you. Only time I'm gonna do that when we play tennis, when we beat Auburn in Tennessee. Otherwise, I don't understand. We really don't need to do that, especially if somebody like Western Carolina. Oh, that's pitiful to do a game like that. They ought not to do Ram again or those games. You're right about that. I agree. Somebody what else is going on, Big C? Not much other than I'm going to be in Atlanta Saturday watching the tide roll. That's good. Have you been to Better a game be before in the Georgia Dome? Say it again. Have you been I'll to the be Georgia Dome there. before? I'm getting there, but I'll be getting there. I'm going to be riding the Marta. Train from College Park to the to the stadium, man. I'm gonna ride it from before that. <laughs> I'm gonna get on that first mm-hmm. one on I-20. But uh, mm-hmm. anyway, well, all right. Well, maybe we'll see you over there. And uh, I hope so. we, we certainly we certainly appreciate you uh, calling our show every week like you do. You always bring it every call. Good mm-hmm. to hear from you. Uh, Can I say one other we'll thing hope- real quick? Are y'all are y'all be, are y'all are y'all out of time right now? No, go ahead, man. Number one is FSU with 56 points. A tie for second is Alabama and Oregon with 48. Ohio State's got 46 at number four. Number five, TCU with 44. Baylor with 42 at number six. Number seven is Arizona State 
with 40. Number eight is Mississippi State with 37. And tied for nine, nine, which is the top ten, is Missouri and Georgia Tech with 36 points each. Grading college football. Uh, com. Okay. Well, thank you, man. Thank y'all. Well, hang that crew and big kitty and roll tide roll to y'all. All right, Big C. Thanks for calling, Big C. Thank you. Calling Big C. McGuire. The pride of Greenville, Alabama. A little known fact about Big C. Uh, If you haven't met him in person, he is a dwarf. Uh, He's uh, he's, he's a dwarf, so obviously he's not very tall. Uh, But he did play college football. Uh, Not college football, I'm sorry. He was a manager at Alabama. He played high school football at Fort Dale Academy in Greenville. He was a backup nose guard, but he got in most of the games because he was on a pretty good team. They could sub. And then in his last game, or one of his last games, near, near his senior year, they put him in at running back, and, and they let him score a touchdown. And he's got a photo to prove it. Uh, so that's a little-known fact about Colin Big C. McGuire, who was a manager on the national championship teams in Alabama in 1978 and 1979 for Coach Paul Bear Bryant. Drew, uh, let's, uh, let's turn the tide, so to speak, just for a couple of minutes uh, with uh, basketball. I went to another game last night and watched uh, with delight, as I'm sure you did on TV, Alabama dispatched South Florida uh, pretty handily. Uh, four guys in double figures, another man a point away. Uh, five and one now, about to head to Xavier in Cincinnati. Uh, what were your impressions? I really enjoyed it. I really like this team, Kerry. Uh, the thing I enjoyed the most is watching the press conference afterward. And the last question, and I know you were in the room, but one of the beat writers asked Coach Grant about, uh, you guys took 25 threes. Is it something we're going to see all the time? And he said, well, we might shoot less than him. We might shoot more. We're just out there playing, making plays. And I – that, to me, shows that I'll be on the shadow of a doubt. He's letting these kids play. He's letting them go. I mean, it may have taken six years, and it may have taken this long to get the kind of roster he wants. And obviously, he was probably encouraged to tweak some things, but that's what good coaches do. And I've enjoyed watching this team. I enjoy uh, – and, and now I'm of the opinion, and I've always been a big Trevor Lacey guy because I watched him in high school. But this team is better off without Trevor Lacey. Uh, you know, there's only one basketball, and this team likes to share the ball. Uh, I like Ricky Tarrant. I really like Justin Coleman. They're pass-first guys, even though Ricky can be very aggressive and also scoring the ball. Um, I think they're both – Trevor Relford was a great combo guard, but he wasn't a true point. Uh, I think we've got two true point guards on the team that push the ball really well. I love the tempo. I love the aggression of Levi Randolph. I mean, and I, you know he's letting them go when they pull off one off the backboard alley-oop, but then the second one they do not, it would have let off Sports Center. And then when Ricky Tarrant comes out, Grant gives him a high five and they laugh about it. So he's letting these kids play. The one thing that they need to improve on, Kerry, they've got to lock down a little bit better defensively and with the defense and rebounding. I'm hoping that's going to come. But I really love the skill because – with the, with the nine to ten guy right with the man rotation he's putting out right now, all of them but Jimmy Taylor can shoot the jump shot and shoot the three, and Jimmy knows his role. He got a couple blocks last night, eleven rebounds, four points, and Jimmy is not one of these guys that's going to be pout if he's not scoring. He knows what his role is. 
He's going to continue to get better at it. And I also liked what I saw out of Michael Kiff. Oh, yeah, Michael is a basketball player. And I'll tell you what, uh, Ricky Tarrant and Justin Coleman are two guys, and, of course, Levi Randolph, but we knew him on going in. But that's two guys that are just absolutely fun to watch play ball. Well, they are. And what another thing I like is I like the role uh, Rodney Cooper's taking, Terry. He's, he's, he's moving without the ball. He's getting to the rim. He's playing around the rim, which he's going to have to with this group because I think we're a big man short still. And he's doing things, rebounding the basketball, blocking a few shots. And then he, and when he has to, he's making some open threes. And, you know, Rodney is never going to be a great shooter, but he needs to make open shots. And I thought the game he played last night, he got a quiet 20 points, but I thought it was he played a great basketball game. Travel just went forward on fourth and ten in the red zone, did not make it. Eight minutes to go in the ball game, 35 to 14. Hoover looks like Josh Niblett, former Alabama walk-on fullback, H-back tight end, is going to get yet another state championship. Doesn't really surprise anybody. I was kind of hoping Travel could keep it a little closer than this, but uh, they faltered twice down in the red zone and. Uh, I tell you, Hoover just, Hoover just, they're a machine. And a lot of people thought, Drew, years ago when they split into Spain Park that it might slow them down a little bit, but it really hadn't. Uh, they, they've, uh, in my opinion, not really missed a stride. Uh, just absolutely phenomenal football program here in Hoover, Alabama. But I got friends that are connected to the travel program, too, so this was a no-lose for me. Uh, I like travel. I like travel back when they had Bill Clark coaching. But anyhow, that's, that's, that's going to be one game down and six to go. And uh, a ton of prospects still have yet to take the field down in Auburn, Drew. Yeah, a ton of them have. And let's also, speaking of prospects, let's tell the listeners, too, you know, the best offensive player for travel did not play tonight. Uh, Kingston Davis, uh, the tailback, who hurt his shoulder in the semifinals, 1,400-yard rusher who Kerry uh, Clark discovered a couple years ago when he was a freshman going into his sophomore year, uh, He's a big back, 230-pounder. He's a, he's a guy that will play Division One college football. and He got hurt last week and has not been able to play tonight, so that's really probably hurt travel a lot. And, uh, and yes, there's a lot of prospects. At 11 o'clock tomorrow morning, Terry, you're going to see uh, Midland City, Dale County High School take on the two-time defending 3A state champion Madison Academy Mustangs, who I am very familiar with, uh, with the, the running back duo of Carryon Johnson committed to Auburn, and then Malik Miller, uh, the, the, the sledgehammer fullback, H-back type, who also plays linebacker. He's a junior. Uh, and inter- intercepted there by Prattville. Hard to believe Hoover's trying to throw the football with six minutes to go. Actually, but, uh, it was a fumble that Hoover recovered their own fumble. Oh, well, no, they, yeah, I must be ahead of you because there's already Could been be. a, You're probably ahead of me. Yeah, I'm on my phone, so you're probably on. Yeah. But, uh, but again... Uh, carry on Johnson and Malik Miller. Carry on is probably the front runner with Keith Dixon for Mr. Football. Um, he's uh, they're going to play tomorrow morning at 11 a.m. Uh, and they're going to play against Jamarius Henderson, who has been committed to UAB and uh, who has not. He's uh, being recruited by Kentucky, Mississippi State, several schools. Uh, he he set a state record with 43 TDs and over 3,000 yards rushing. I think he's broke some of Sherman Williams' records. Uh, this year for them, and he uh, he's also played safety. He camped at Alabama, looked better at running back than he did safety, and he's won an Alabama offer, did not get one, but he's a kid that will play Division One college football, and 
He will lead Midland City against the, the, the duo Madison Academy's got. And Academy also has a sophomore left tackle, Austin Troxel, who's around 6'7", 6'8", 275 pounds. He's someone else to look at, look for that is a, a really good player. And then, of course, for all of our Duck Dynasty fans listening, everybody, it's well documented. The quarterback, the senior quarterback, Blake Coward, has now been going out with Sadie Robertson for about a year. Uh, they're a serious item, and they will both be attending Harding University in Arkansas, where Blake Coward will play shortstop on the baseball team. And I had to correct the national writer today that said that Blake was already at Harding. Oh, boy. <laughs> Zach, somebody. But anyway, he wrote a great article about Sadie and, and her virtue and how she's maintained it and her rules of dating and all that, but he said in the article that, that Blake was already at Harding and Sadie was still in high school. I was like, no, not, not quite, Zach. But anyway, uh, got to bring on a, a BAM's regular caller, our number one caller of all time. Uh, a man that is in an office with uh, four or five Auburn people as his business partners, and I don't really <laughs> think there's probably anybody in Etowah County smiling more this week than Marty from Gaston. What's going on, buddy? Hey guys, I tell you what, I'm just feeling great. I tell you what, let me let me let me say something to all my Auburn friends out there, if I can. Y'all care? Nah, go ahead. You know, you brought a great game. You played hard. You really did a good job. But <laughs> I ain't never been so happy in my life. I tell you what, I come in Monday morning, and nobody shows up for work. Everybody's late, and I'm going, what the heck? Why is everybody late for work? You know, it's just been it's been a great it's been a great week, man. They finally come out of their shell today and actually talked to me today. You know, Wednesday. Uh, it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. You know, hey, what do you guys think? You think we're gonna have like a seventy-five or eighty percent advantage in a crowd in the Georgia Dome Saturday? I think seventy-five is fair. Maybe eighty. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be mostly crimson. They don't travel that well, and uh, yeah, I think that's fair. So we're gonna have a home game. So we're gonna yeah, have a home game. So Blake Sims should be able Georgia to be the Dome. man. Well, Georgia has become the Georgia Dome has become our new Legion Field. If you think about it, that's true. That's it's true. Our home away from home. We play in there twice a year on a good year. You know, uh, we won't play there twice next year, but uh, we play there. We play there twice a year in our good years. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a fun place to play. And then a couple of years from now, they'll have another brand new stadium we can play in when they get it finished. But uh, I just knew that you were. Uh, one happy young man there uh, heading home from that ball game. And nobody really cared about getting home late. We were just so happy to win and not have to hear it for a year. And wasn't the prettiest of victories. Like I told him earlier, Marty, I'm not going out and buying a shirt showing we gave up 44 points. But I tell you what, I I got a little more spring in my step this week. I ain't going to lie. We, we sure as hell yeah. ain't going sure to storm the field. Yeah, nope, we ain't going to storm the field, my man. <laughs> Well, I tell you, I, you know, uh, 
Uh, one thing I, I kind of missed, you know, tonight, I, I, I thought we might get to, to hear uh, Thomas break down Missouri a little bit and give us some insight. Because I truly, guys, I have not followed Missouri this year. I have not paid a bit of attention to them whatsoever, you know. Um, well, that's a great segue, I, I, Thomas. Go ahead and give us some after Marty finishes his talk. Yeah, yeah. Marty, uh, I, I'm, I'll just flat out say I, I said it before the Auburn game. Alabama was going to skull drag Mizzou by 25. The more I look into Mizzou, I think I might be being nice. I there are three. I mentioned this to Kerry before the show. There are three players on that team that scare me: the two defensive ends, uh, Shane Ray and Marcus Golden. And I might have his name wrong, but anyway, and Bud Sasser, the wide receiver. Matty Mock is Stephen Garcia. And the only thing you have to worry about is, does Stephen Garcia have the game of his life against the Alabama defense? I don't think so. I think Alabama is going to come out and put it on Mizzou. I think it's going to be ugly. And, I, 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 frankly, I think it's going to be a pretty easy win. I, I you know, it's, I said last week, and I absolutely meant it, that – the Georgia loss to Florida was a godsend for Alabama because Georgia has a hell of a lot more talent than Mizzou. And since with no Georgia, like think about what Mizzou's had to do even the past three weeks. They had to come back. They had to battle a good Tennessee team in Neyland, but it's not like that Tennessee team is a bunch of world beaters. They had to come back on an Arkansas team that was hot, and everyone says, oh, that's such a good win because – Oh, my gosh, because Arkansas, was they were so close in all these games, but they still lost the majority of them. And they had to beat a good, a good I put good in air quotes, a good Texas A&M team, the team that's so good they fired their defensive coordinator before the bowl. I mean, this it's not like you're sitting here and you look at Mizzou's schedule and they've beaten Alabama, LSU, Oregon, and TCU. No, this team lost to Indiana at home. Indiana a team that's won a Big Ten game this year, a Big Ten team. They lost to a Big Ten team at home. That's not named Ohio State. Yes, they've become better since then, but I just I have absolutely no respect for this team. I'm sorry. I think that all the spread stuff, they, you know, they will spread Alabama out, but the running backs will be stoned. You know, one of the things, yes, Alabama gave up a ton of yards last week, but Auburn's running game is an order of magnitude better than Mizzou's, and in that second half, Auburn had trouble running the ball. They did. I don't think you can argue that point, and that, that's, that's kind of where I, I, so I am. You know, I'm sorry. I, I just I don't, I don't think, I think it's going to be a walk-off. I think Mizzou's going to get just blasted. Well, and Thomas, and I, I'll let Marty take back over in a second, but I wanted to ask you about this, because the only thing, I agree with you 100%, the only thing that, that, uh, is the vertical routes and then the pass rushers, but I, I, but I just cannot, I cannot wrap my head around the fact that Alabama is not going to come out ready to play with what's at stake. I mean, you know, a, you got to win the SEC championship, and b, you got to win to make the playoff. So to me, and with the leadership on this team, third seed, I just cannot see this team coming out flat and not being ready to play. Well, uh, to your thing, to your point, Drew, it's a, it's a lot easier to defend Matty Mock. Something that. Murph and I talked about, and he talked about a lot last week about Auburn, is Alabama had to play zone most of the time. They, ha- they had to do the press bail technique, which when you press bail, 
you don't really get a jam on somebody. You're, the point is to stand up close, make the quarterback think he's going to get one-on-one, and then bail into zone. Matty Mock is not, is not Nick Marshall athletically. He's not going to do it. Sure, they might bust an occasional zone read, but that's not Missouri's bread and butter. If Alabama decides to, they can play straight press man, or they can play some kind of press zone look where, as opposed to giving a wide receiver a free release, the DB knows that he's got safety help, and suddenly the vertical routes are a lot harder to complete because you've got Landon Collins headhunting or Nick Perry rolling over the top wherever Bud Sasser is going. It's just... I'm not concerned about that because this offense is a lot easier for Alabama to defend because there's not this uber-mobile quarterback. Right. Well, Thomas, Thomas, here's my thing. I, this is not about football technicalities or anything like that. The one team Missouri played this year that had the amount of four and five stars on both sides of the ball was Georgia. How'd that work out for them? Uh, George, like, that game, that film is hilarious. Georgia just continuously punched them in the face. It was 60 minutes, I'm going to put on a metal glove, and I'm going to punch you in the face, and when my fist comes out the back of your head, I'm going to step on your nuts. That was that game. And that could be this game. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I'm sorry. I know I sound like a homer being on an Alabama show saying I have no, no interest in worrying about Mizzou, but I just don't. I'm sorry. I think it's great that they've come into the SEC and they've competed in the East and they've won the past two years. But it's just that you look at it and it's like, I can't get by the fact they got destroyed by Georgia, they lost to Indiana at home, and their games that they had to win, they did win, but they didn't come out and just put it on the three teams they just played. And Alabama is an order of magnitude, if not multiple orders of magnitude, better than anybody that they've played over the past month. It's that simple to me. I agree. I would have played them all along. Georgia would have worried me, but Missouri don't worry me. Does that help you out, Marty? I'm sorry. My vehemence got me. (laughs) I feel a lot better. I feel a lot better after hearing that. It gives me a little bit of confidence going in. I got a couple questions if I could ask and see if that's all right. Absolutely. Go ahead. Uh, Given this team coming in to 2014, do you not think that Nick Saban really should get the coach of the year? I mean, I, I think this is one of his best coaching jobs that he's done since he's been at the, at the capstone. I mean, you know, losing what he lost last year and, and putting this team together and bringing Lane Kiffin in, uh, do you not agree he should be the coach of the year? I do. I think it's his best coaching job since he's been in Alabama and maybe anywhere he's ever been. Let me jump in. I'm sorry. I think Lane Kiffin should, like, there should be a FedEx box, and it should have the Boyles Award in his office, like, right now. I I respect the hell out of the other four guys that are potentials at the Boyles Award for the top offensive coordinator or top club coordinator this year. But if it's not Lane Kiffin, I think the award is just fundamentally broken. It's kind of like the Derek Thomas College Hall of Fame thing, I think it's, it would be that much of a miss, just complete travesty if Kiffin didn't win it this year. I agree what. with that. 100%. Go ahead. Yeah. I'll tell what you, you what, with, with, with uh, Lane Kiffin under Nick Saban, if he can stay under him for another year or two, this is a dangerous coach. You know, if he can pick up some of the, some of the traits from Nick Saban, 
and, and control that emotion and, and, and go forward. I mean, th- this guy right here could be a dangerous coach. Uh, he got some other things he needs to control besides just his emotion. But I think he can get there in a few years. Well, my last question was about uh, Eddie Jackson. You know, is Eddie Jackson 100% or is he is he just too slow to stay up with these receivers? Because uh, that kind of concerns me. I mean, I, I put a lot of hope in Eddie Jackson that he was going to be the corner, the shutdown corner that we needed. You know, it, it, do you think it's because of his injury or do you think that uh, he's just that slow? Well, I just think he's still not 100% healthy, Marty, but I – I think they were, to be honest with you, the one thing credit I'm going to give Auburn is, uh, I think Amari is by far the best receiver in America, but I think Auburn had the best duo Alabama team. Uh, I, obviously, Coach has got inconsistent hands. But he's a one-trick pony, but he can run a vertical route. He's big and strong. Uh, he had a great game. And then, and then Duke Williams is a monster. Uh, I hope he goes pro. Um, I thought he was tremendous in the game, and he's still not 100% healthy. But uh, I just think Eddie's still got a ways to go. Uh, and I think Phil did a great job on Coach when he came in and Quan Bray. Uh, I think he, he slowed them down. But I think I'm, that's the one part I'm just going to tip my hat to Auburn. Uh, they had two really good receivers, and at corner Alabama still got to improve, and that's just basically all day. But I will say this. They didn't challenge Cyrus Jones too much. Cyrus held up pretty well. They only threw at Cyrus three or four times because they were determined to go after Eddie. Right. So, sums up. But you know, got, you got to say one thing, Marty. Uh, Bradley Philby played the game of his life. He did. Well, he did. He did. You know, I got one uh, one other thing to comment on too. You know, the Auburn uh, team. I tell you what, if you look at what they're going to lose this year, you know, I think. Malzahn, uh, next year, I mean, it's just my opinion, next year is going to be toast. Because I, I, I cannot see that uh, an NFL team, NFL team would not pick up coach. Definitely Williams. I mean, he's definitely ready for the NFL right now. You know, losing on that offensive line, what they're going to lose, you know, losing Payne, losing, I mean, Marshall. Man, this team is going to be depleted next year. You know, it's going to be an exciting year next year. Well, I think if you t- to your point, Marty, look at the Georgia game. Georgia beat Auburn thirty-four-seven. Who did who did Auburn not have? They didn't have one of their guards, and they didn't have Duke Williams, and the offense got stuck in the mud. I completely agree with you. Duke Williams should go. Even even hurt, he's gonna put up. He's put up solid numbers. Sammy Coates is in a weird spot because Coates is a burner. You know, he you can't coach four-three speed. But he's not a polished receiver. I think he will get – he'll be lucky to get a second-round grade. He'll probably get a mid-round grade. But he'll get drafted because you can't coach speed. And it's one thing to say, all right, son, go run that way really fast. We'll throw the ball to you. I think, But you're absolutely right. You know, Auburn is going to be in a real interesting spot next year. I know Jeremy Johnson is a legitimate quarterback, but he's not Nick Marshall. They're going to have to remake the offense for the young man. And who's he going to throw to? So you're, well, you're absolutely right. And Thomas, from coming from a very good source in Auburn, uh, Jeremy might not even be there because I think Gus realizes, and if you've watched, you watched a lot of film, you see a lot of play, if you saw Gus Malzahn with the uh, Cody, Byrne, Cody Byrne to the world and the 
and the uh, and uh, the, the kid uh, that was from Arkansas that ended up uh, being Kyle Frazier. Yeah, Kyle Frazier. Frazier. My, my apologies. And obviously, uh, the, the the JUCO that he inherited uh, in 2009, uh, he he needs he needs a mobile quarterback. And uh, Johnson is mobile, but not super mobile. And Tyler Queen, one of their commitments from 2000 from this class, is the same way, not super mobile. From what I understand, they're once again trying to go to the junior college route to sign a multi-dual threat QB. And uh, if they don't do that, they still have a good offense. It's not going to be – if you don't have to account for the quarterback and his offense, all those motions and shifts and bull crap aren't nearly as effective. Uh, it'll neuter his offense. Like, they, he – if he's not going to be able – to disguise something to get a one-on-one matchup, and to his credit, he's great at it. That is, oh, he is, he is. But if you can't do that, if you don't have that threat, I mean, again, go to the Auburn Georgia game. Yes, they had the threat from the quarterback, but they had nothing in the secondary that Georgia had to worry about. Right. So if if you remove a cornerstone, this isn't this isn't something like a Jenga. This isn't a Jenga tower. You can't knock one thing out and it might stay up. This is a house of cards. You take out a bottom card and you're done. Right, I agree 100. percent well, Marty, I got the space chart if you want it. Hey, I'll, I'll be glad for. Let me give you an update right quick. You know, Bruce Pearl, the great Bruce, Bruce Pearl, is down yeah. uh, 35 to 37 to, to Texas Tech. It, it, you know, and we're, we got five minutes left, and it's 37 to 35. That's not a good. Is thing. that you mean for, to go in the game? To go in the game. Five minutes and 38 seconds, and it's Auburn's 35, Texas Tech's 37, and both of them teams are bad. Believe me, they're bad. All I'll say about this is it's kind of funny now that they uh, Bruce Pearl's going to have to get his talent, but they thought they were going to be getting 94 feet of basketball, and now Alabama's playing the style of basketball that Auburn thought they were getting. I just think it's kind of funny. And I'll give another update. This is the bell in the coffin. The Prattville Lions were just picked off by the Hoover Bucks, so Hoover's just going to be running the clock. I think that was P.J. Hall, Drew. It was P.J. Hall, number 13, I think. I believe that's who that was. And uh, a minute and 49 seconds, they're just going to run the clock out here. And uh, yet another uh, state championship trophy going to Hoover as Kerry goes through the participation chart. 35-21. Okay, participation chart. Uh, Remember last week uh, was a tighter game, or uh, rather two weeks ago, it was a tighter game. Uh, Mississippi State only played uh, 51 guys. Auburn was a little more of an advantage. Uh, they got, and because of the fact that Auburn ran 90 plays, uh, Alabama got 60 people into the ball game. Uh, the starters on offense: Cam Robinson, uh, Quanjo Kelly, uh, Leon Brown, Shepard, and O.J. Howard, uh, Christian Jones, Amari Cooper, DeAndre White, T.J. Yeldon, and Blake Sims. Defensive starters on the line, Jonathan Allen, A'shaun Robinson, Jaron Reed. Uh, the Jack was uh, Dixon, who had a big sack in the game in the second half. Uh, back from the secondary, you had uh, Geno Smith. You had Eddie Jackson, Cyrus Jones, Landon Collins, and Nick Perry. Linebackers traded Priest and Reggie Raglan. And uh, off the bench, the tide came with Chris Lack, Tyron Jones, uh, Tony Brown for one series, Bradley Sylvie, uh, who played the game in his life, Cody Jones on special teams, Ryan Anderson, Camp Sims, uh, Corin Curvin. That one really shot me. He got to the third, fourth nose guard. But he got in. I saw that. Uh, Robert Foster played some quality time, uh, the receiver. 
Runner Rayburn, uh, whose era probably ended with that block extra point. But, hey, he'll probably get a letter for those two games he played. Uh, Deshaun Hand, Adam Griffith, uh, fighting the back injury, but gutted it up. Sean Hamilton, Chad K. Scott, another great game. Cooper Bateman, uh, Jarek Williams, Maurice Smith, uh, Jabril Washington, Dylan Lee, Derek Henry, Alfie Tenpenny, LaShawn Evans, who got some quality snaps in the second half uh, at, at linebacker. Uh, Jawson Fowler, another solid game. Alphonse Big Shank Taylor, his time comes when they do the kicks. He's on the uh, extra point field goal team. Uh, Dalvin Tomlinson, Cole Mazza, snapper. Tim Williams, quality snaps. DJ Petway, Grant Hill, another good game for him. Dom Jackson, uh, offensive lineman. Raheem Falcons played very early. That was kind of puzzling, but he did. Brian Vogler got in the last snap of his senior year as the guy behind the quarterback on the kneel down. They didn't want to get him hurt. But they knew it was his last home game, so they put him in there behind Blake Sims on the last snap when he took a knee. Brian was lined up behind him. Uh, thought that was cool. Malcolm Faison, Parker Barano, Brandon Green, Dakota Ball, Darren Lake, and Brandon Ivory. So 60 guys got in, and 60 guys got a win. That's going to pay dividends for next year, big time. Yes, sir. Well, Marty, I actually have a question for you because I want the fans' perspective on this. I brought this up in our back chat, so I'm sure Drew and Kerry can bring it up. What did you think watching Rashawn Evans chase Nick Marshall throughout the second half? Well, I'll tell you what. I don't understand why uh, Evans and uh, Williams are not in on, on pass rushing more often. I mean, I, those guys are phenomenal. I, I, maybe I don't, I'm not at practice and I don't coach the team, but – you know, I'm I'm just so excited about both of those guys, man. They they impressed me big time. Well, we're all tied to that. I uh, I, I was I, I the few times he got in, I was like, kid's pretty good. Glad to look forward oh, to. Oh, he, he is. He, he's excellent. He's only going to get better too. That's that's you know that's what's amazing. This team next year could actually be better than this year. Depends on the quarterback and how quickly the new quarterback develops, probably Coker. Uh, but if Kenton can work the miracles that he did with Blake Sims and then back a few years ago at Tennessee with Jonathan Crompton, if he can do that kind of coaching with uh, Jacob Coker, I think we'll be just fine next year, Marty. Well, Coker, is, to me, there's no comparison to him than, than the Tennessee quarterback. I mean, Coker's a smart guy. He's, this is another year he's been in the system now. He's had time to learn it. Next year, he could be a phenomenal quarterback. You just got to get the ball out a little quicker. But they got time to work on that, and I've got confidence that, that, that Lane will get that out of him. Well, great great show, guys. I'm going to get off here and let y'all finish up. You know, uh, just uh, just another great quality win, and and we, we hope we can go all the way. Roll Thanks, Tide. Marty. Appreciate it. Roll Tide, man. Roll Tide, Marty. Always good to hear from Marty from Gadsden. Uh, he's the number one caller on BAMS Radio. Uh, and the final score is 35-21. Hoover defeats Prattville for the first ever 7A state championship of the AHSAA. Moving right along, uh, we only got a couple minutes left, about four minutes. I wanted to give the full spiel uh, for Big Heads Barbecue, uh, right. where the motto is go be or go home, catering private parties, events. You can download the catering menu at uh, – BigHeadsBBQ.net. Uh, you can give them a holler uh, on the cell, 251-379-0094. You can reach them uh, on email, uh, BigHead at BigHeadsBBQ.net. 
he's on Twitter uh, at Big Heads BBQ. He's got a Facebook page, and he's got all kind of different great side items: baked beans, potato salad, coleslaw, his own barbecue sauce, uh, pork, chicken, brisket, ribs, whatever you need. He'll cook it up for any size group. And uh, that's Big Head Chuck, a good friend of ours, the official barbecue sponsor of BAM's radio. And then he has the triple thread, a piece of pork with a small piece of sausage in the middle wrapped in bacon. Drew DiArmond tried it for the first time Saturday. <laughs> what are your thoughts? I was going to say, I joined the triple threat, you know, crew, and uh, it was a, it, it was spectacular. I uh, had some barbecue carry, uh, you know, had a full plate. Had some sausage and with some of the homemade sauce, and all I gotta say is it was as tender of barbecue as I've ever had, and it was some great food. Now I'll say this: about two or three o'clock in the morning, I was, you know, not I, I was miserable, but uh, it was a good miserable, and uh, I I really enjoyed the tailgate and the barbecue. It was uh, spectacular. Yes, it was, and the game was a spectacular game. A little uh, more drama than we had hoped. But still a victory over the Auburn Tigers, 55-44 to in the Iron Bowl. I have now seen 38 consecutive Iron Bowls in person, and I am 20-18. and 18. So well, I can I'll always say, say this. thank God for Legion Field, but I do have a winning record. Well, I, I just thought about it, Terry. It was my first Iron Bowl since the 98 when the last one in Legion Field. Ah. Uh, Sean Alexander's... Uh, uh, for an excellent performance, and it was my first one in Tuscaloosa. So uh, it was a memorable one, and uh, I'll always remember it. I'll always remember Amari Cooper and Blake Sim. Uh, you know, not it wasn't the kind of football game I loved, a lot of scoring, but it was, in hindsight, fun to, you know, to be honest, it wasn't that close a game. Alabama beat the hell out of Auburn in the fourth quarter. Let's just be honest. But it was a uh, great comeback by our guys. And if you guys want to see some gold, uh, I can send you a YouTube video. I think I did send it to y'all of uh, Jack Crow and Rob Tate watching it in Birmingham from BunkerChat.com. That was some uh, the second half and especially the fourth quarter is must-see TV if you're a Bama fan. <laughs> there you have it. And also, if you got the Fine Bomb call-in show on your DVR, <laughs> go back and watch that. Cause I've only seen snippets so far. I've got on my DVR. But there was some gold on there, too, from Charleston, Realtown, and Tammy once we started beating that ass. So, uh, <laughs> hey, it, it, it is what it is. Uh, the bragging rights belong in Tuscaloosa for another year, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say probably more than that. Uh, I feel good about the way the program's going. Uh, I know that Bruce Feldman is now reporting that Auburn is nearing a deal with Will Muscamp, like I told Thomas in the back chat. I'll believe it when he steps to the podium, but I guess we'll keep following that story, too. Uh, it's been a good show. We're at the top of the hour. Uh, Marty for calling in, Big C for calling in, and Redfish for joining us for about 45 minutes there. It's been another good edition of BAM's radio. Uh it's always a good addition when you win the Iron Bowl and you're heading to Atlanta to play for the SEC Championship. And I want to us have a shot at another SEC Championship. I love the Nationals. Don't get me wrong, but the SEC is kind of a lot in my mind, too. So let's get this one Saturday. Uh, we're going to go ahead and, and wrap up. But uh, for uh, Thomas Watson, Drew DeArmond, both of AlabamaIntel.com, I'm Kerry Clark with BamaMag.com. Thank you once again for listening to another edition 
of Bams Radio, a member of Sports Radio family. Roll Tide, everybody. Good night. Roll Tide.